What a wonderful time of worship this morning already. So I kind of feel like I've got the, uh, the easy part of it because all I've got to do is just tell you the story. I'm just going to explain why we're here and how important the resurrection is. Like I said, I've, I've got the easy part. But my hope and my hope and my, my prayer in telling you about the resurrection this morning is that you will tell others. Right? If you're a believer in Christ, you most likely understand how important the resurrection is, and you, you already get it. You know, it's been mentioned this morning, our hope, eternal life, our freedom. There's so much that we get from the resurrection. The reason we're even here celebrating this morning, for many of us, is because of the resurrection. But my prayer, my hope is that we go and we share it with others who don't know the importance of the resurrection. And so we're going to look at that this morning and as we've been preparing for this morning. And in many ways, having Easter only once a year is almost, it it kind of saddens me in a way because we really should be celebrating it over and over again because it's that important to us. But as you were with us last week, we talked about Palm Sunday, and, and we said that there's highs and lows, right? We, we talked about Jesus coming in to Jerusalem, yet he wept because he knew what was yet to come. We had Good Friday service. Many of us were there on Friday night, and we saw him on the cross, and we envisioned what that took place and, and what that meant. And then the day of silence was yesterday, and then this morning, uh, if you made it up, some of you actually got up early this morning and made it out, and PJ explained the, the highs and lows in Mary Magdalene's life as she went through that, right? Can I do right? You shared that, right? Oh, it's good. I was just double-checking. I was there, and I was awake, and I do remember it. But the importance of the resurrection and her astonishment, and even her, in her own personal life, the highs and lows, and certainly we go through that. But through the resurrection, we can have that hope. And so we're at that pinnacle now, and we're at that point, but not everybody believes that Jesus rose again. And so we're going to go through that this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, if not, the guys will have it up there on the screen. I'm confident. There we go. I'm confident that they will. They're good that way. But we're going to look at it in the chapter of Luke 24. In, in view of Luke, and again, Luke's writing it uh, through Peter's eyes, and he's, he's gathered the information, and it's in all four Gospels, and certainly you can take a look at all of them, and they all bring a beautiful picture. But Luke gives us a lot of the details, and so that's why I've chosen this morning to use Luke as we go through it. But I would encourage you to read through it. Read through it in Mark, and Matthew, and even John, and you get that complete picture as best we can, of those eyewitnesses. But in Luke chapter 24, verse 1, we'll just jump right in. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Again, they've gone to, at this point, they've gone to prepare Jesus' body. They've brought fragrance. They're, they're still in grief. They're still in mourning. Probably they're still in shock in many ways. And much to their surprise, 
the stone is rolled away. Through their head, look inside, he's not there. And so the questions were probably going through their head like, what has happened? All right? And then all of a sudden, we have these two men, right, that are beaming and glowing, right? That's not normal, is it? No. No. These angels. And throughout Scripture, every time we see of angels, people seeing angels, right, there's always that, that little bit of fear, like, what is this? This is not natural. This is not normal. So these women are rustling through all these emotions, but yet they're still wondering, where is Jesus? We had a plan. We were all set. We knew what we were doing this morning, and now it's been changed. It's not going the way that I expected it. Nothing seems right at this point. Verse 5. In their fright, the woman bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? I love that phrase. Joe, you mentioned it as well this morning, right? Why do you look for the living among the dead, right? We don't typically go to a, a cemetery to, to meet up with people or to, to, to find acquaintances, right? Again, these women were going for one purpose, but yet Jesus has a different plan. And so that should have rang through their ears, right? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Verse 6, he's not here. He has risen. And obviously, it didn't sink in, right? It, it, they, they're, they're, probably their response still isn't, it's in shock and it's in horror and it's like, uh, they don't get it yet. So they repeat it, right? They're trying to jog their memory here a little bit. I know as I'm getting older, I need that from time to time. He says, remember, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Remember, these women were with the disciples quite often. They were traveling. They obviously overheard Jesus' word. And Jesus didn't tell even his disciples just once. He kept telling them over and over again. And I'm sure, as we see, even his disciples don't get it on the first go-around, right? Have you ever had that happen? You tell somebody something, and you expect that to happen, and they don't remember, right? So you remind them. You tell them again. You that are, you are smiling right now because you know with your kids, right? It's not a one and done. Some of you, maybe it's your husband or your wife, right? You tell them once and there's an expectation, but it doesn't always work out that way. And so he jogs their memory and says, hey, remember what Jesus' words were, right? He told you this was going to happen. Yet they still are having a hard time grasping it. Verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary, PJ's favorite character in the Bible right now, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to be like nonsense. 
right? Eyewitnesses, they, 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 they're telling them, they're explaining what they've seen, and yet the, 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 the 11 just don't get it. They're like, how can this be, right? This, this, this doesn't make sense. Again, they were told the same message, right? And I'm sure they told them, and I'm sure they even told them, hey, there was two angels there. They're the ones that were witnessing that, that Jesus is risen, yet they still don't believe yet. Think about it in our own lives, right? We, we, we tell people about Jesus, and quite often we have to do it over and over and over again, right? They don't come to that belief yet. They don't believe the same way. That perseverance. Sometimes it takes something drastic in our lives to turn us around. Verse 12, one of my favorite guys. You know this, right? Peter got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. And again, Luke leaves out in there that one part. And again, I, I mentioned earlier that Luke gets this account from Peter. And so there's that little section in there that he forgot that there was another young man that was actually in the race to the tomb, and it was John. And like guys do quite often, they leave that out because Peter wasn't the first one there. John was faster. John got there first. Side note and kind of a, a funny, but it's not even mentioned in Luke at all. Peter kind of forgot that little detail that he got beaten by John. Some of you are chuckling because you get that part. But when Peter gets there and John, there is no Jesus. He's not there yet. He's not there any longer. That's where he's supposed to be. And so they're left perplexed, right? They're, they're still not believing what they've heard. They're not believing what they've seen. They are still perplexed. For the sake of time this morning, I'm going to skip over this story a little bit because there's another section here on the road to Emmaus. And again, I would encourage you to read it this week, but I'm going to jump over to verse 33 to pick up the story a little bit further on. Again, and the importance of this resurrection and the importance of what's taking place. And so if you're following along, I'm just skipping over to 33 and then we'll continue from there. It says, they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. And they were saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Peter. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Again, some little details in here, but again, it's part of that process, part of what Jesus is revealing to them. And again, that, on that road to Emmaus, he's with them. He walks alongside them and he opens their eyes. And don't miss this this point here that he breaks bread with them, right? It's not a ghost that they're seeing. It's not just a spirit. It is Jesus himself. And he can be recognized, right? He's taking in food. He's walking. He can be seen. He can be recognized. Right? This is the risen Lord. It's not a, an illusion. It's not a, a figment of their imagination. This is something real. And this is happening before their very eyes. This is important as people try to disprove the resurrection of Christ. It's, it's one of the things that, that people that don't believe in Christ love to do is to discredit. They'll even go to great lengths to try to 
negate the fact that Christ is risen. Because they know how important it is, how important it is to our faith, but how important it is that he is the Messiah. Verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said with them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. It's one of the other things that we get from the resurrection, right? We can have peace. We can have peace in our lives even today. When things around us are not going well, when things are not going the way that we want, we don't understand, right? We can have peace and hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is something yet better to come. And so Jesus speaks these words to them, peace be with you, right? Because they're, they're still processing. They're still coming to grips with what they've seen, what they've watched, what they've witnessed, what they've walked through themselves. And peace would be one of the things they'd be seeking. Verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. And then he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see me. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Right? Show me, right? I got to see it. I got to see it from my own eyes. Again, Jesus is just continually making the case, right? This is, this is who I am. Not, this is really me. You would see the, the spots on his hands. And I, I can almost imagine, do you even see the rust of the nails, right? And the side, right? Thomas is the one that's asked, especially in John. John lists Thomas out as the, the leader of the doubters, right? And I, I think he gets a bad rap because really here, they're all doubting at this point. And Jesus knows what's going on. And so he's like, here, you can see. Here's the evidence of who I am. Right? These were not normal markings on anyone except for someone who has been crucified. He goes on to explain even more. He goes, when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And while they, were still, and, and while they still did not believe... Because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Right? Again, proving that he's not a ghost. Right? Ghosts don't need food. They're not going to eat food. He's proving to them over and over again here. He's reassuring them that he really is there. told Pat this morning that I wouldn't mention fish or any fishing stories, but there's fish in this story, Pat, just for you. Verse 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And again, if you've studied Scripture, and as you know, and we've even made allusions to it, and we've talked about it, right? Scripture had to be fulfilled in a certain way. We certainly looked at that in, in, uh, in the Psalms last week, in Zechariah, the prophets, right? That Jesus had to ride in on a certain colt, right? He had to come a certain time. 
certain criteria had to be met. The virgin birth, how he died. And he's saying it all came true. It's proof that I am the one. I'm the Messiah. Right? Everything leading up to that point, to this special moment in time of the risen Lord. It's important. The details were very important. And then I love this next verse. It's almost like, all right, he's done a lot of work here. He's, he's laid it out. He's showed them. He's, he's done things before them. He's told them ahead of time. And then they needed some more help. Isn't that just like Jesus? Sometimes we need a little extra help, and sometimes he's gracious and compassionate. I think verse 45 is one of those times when Jesus says, they're still not getting it, they're struggling, and so let me help them a little bit more. Verse 45 says, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Right? That divine wisdom that we can get from the scriptures, that, that opening up. We, we understand that now as believers. The Holy Spirit quite often does that. And um, Linda was even sharing something this morning, and I've heard many of you others share it as well. Sometimes you read a passage, and all of a sudden, you've read it maybe a hundred times, and all of a sudden, it just pops, right? It comes to life. I didn't realize that before. I never seen it that way. PJ, when she was speaking this morning, there were some things that, that I hadn't thought about in that, that way and, and pulled it together, right? It just comes to life. And so Jesus does that right here and right now for his disciples, right? He, he opens their minds so they can understand the scriptures. Verse 46, he told them that this is what was written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with the power from on high. Don't miss what he said here, right? You've witnessed it, you've been through it, you've lived it. And guess what? Now I've got something for you to do. Right? It's not enough that it's just for you, but you need to take that and share it with others. Again, that's my hope and my charge for us this morning as well, right? The forgiveness and repentance of sin, right? In Jesus' name. That, that's the, the gospel in essence, right? It's interesting this morning, too, that we're, we're commissioning, and in a way, we're sending out some of our folks this week to go down to the cities and to do ministry work, and uh, again, that's part of that, and it, even here in the Scripture, it talks about beginning in Jerusalem, right? Starting here at home, but then going out from there. Home is not the final destination. It's to go out from here, right? It's, it's not kept just in a small area or just by yourself. It's to be spread, and taken. And we see that. We see it over and over again. In fact, we're going to jump scriptures here and we're going to go down the, the corridor a little bit again because there was another one of these apostles that thought the resurrection was really important as well. Another one of my favorite characters. I don't know if pastors are supposed to have favorite characters in the Bible, but again, certainly men, godly men to look up to. But Paul, 
And Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians. In fact, he shows how important this peace is, this resurrection is to our lives and, and what we are to do with it. And so, again, we're going to ch- jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul is speaking to the church, right? And as we did a study not that long ago on the church in Corinth, we, we said that was a tough church. And Point Way is not like the church in Corinth, and I am thankful for that. Praise God. But through that tough church, we learn a lot. We get a lot of instruction. We get a lot of how-to, right? How to do things. And so Paul who spent a lot of time in the church in Corinth, gives these instructions, but he reminds him of that early teaching, that base teaching of the resurrection. Verse 1 and 15, it says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news. I preach to you which you received and on which we have taken our stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. So Paul is, is saying, hey, this is, this is down to the base. This is what we start off with. This is the core, this foundation of the gospel, right? And we'll see, nothing more and nothing less. We have to take the gospel as the whole. And Paul preached that. He preached that over and over again as he's watching people convert over and over again to Christ. And he says, without it, you believed in vain. This this is a, a waste of time. And you'll see why he stakes his claim to that. That is our foundation in what we believe. We call ourselves a Christian. We believe that. And we hold on to that. And it says, hold firmly. It's almost like grasping that life raft or that life vest, right? It's holding on to it with like there's nothing else, right? It's the only thing that's going to save us. It's almost like a death grip holding on to it. Verse 3, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Right? We just read that, right? We just read that over in, in Luke, right? That same account. We read the same scripture. And Paul is just hearkening back to that as a reminder. That time was important. That's found that Christ took. That is the gospel. That is what saves us. That belief that Christ took our sins on the cross with him. He was buried and then he rose again. That's our salvation. And you can see why Paul says it's of first importance. We should all be able to say that that is of first importance. That's where things begin for us as believers. Linda made allusion to this when she's saying there's there's proof. There's even further proof. That's why I like to put these together that proof, because many times we have to explain our faith and we need that proof. And so Paul does the same thing here a little bit later on to the church. He says, and that he, he, being Jesus, appeared to more than 500 of the brothers, all at the same time, 
most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the disciples, and last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. Right? He's saying, so there's more proof, right? If you don't believe me, believe some of the other folks that have heard and seen Jesus, right? Some of them were still around. Some of them, they could go and check up and follow up and say, hey, you know, I know what Paul says about Jesus, but did you see him after the crucifixion? And they would confirm what Paul said. Yes, we did see him. He did rise again. He is a risen Lord. Paul mentions those that have fallen asleep. Again, that's a, a phrase that means that some have passed on, right? Some have not made it to that point. But there is proof. There's proof that Christ is risen. I love this next section here. Paul, though, gets it, though. Paul doesn't get puffed up about it. He knows his place. He knows how much Christ has done. And if you know the story of Paul, right, he's gone from persecuting Christians to being a persecuted Christian. 180, you could have totally turned the table. Probably about the, the greatest 180 you could ever do as a person. Paul lived it. But Paul also kept it in perspective. He says, for I'm the least of the apostles. Do not even deserve to be called one because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then it was you or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. And he's talking about the gospel, right? These men staked their lives to the gospel, died horrible deaths, had to give up a lot. Paul went through certainly a lot. He, he makes mention of that. And again, you can read his story. He went through a lot for the sake of the gospel. Yet he would do nothing else but that. And now for us, these next two verses as we close this morning. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And as I close with those couple of verses, you see how important the resurrection is, right? Without it, there's no hope. Joe mentioned it as well, right? If he just died on the cross and that was it, he was a martyr prophet, teacher, but he's so much more than that because of the resurrection. And in that, that same resurrection, we get the same hope, right? We're going to be resurrected with Christ again, and our faith is not in vain. So is the resurrection important this morning? Very important. 
It's a reminder. And my challenge is today is for you is tell someone else. Share it. Celebrate the gospel message. Share what Christ has done in your life. Share why we celebrate today on Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Bow with me, please. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we just praise you and we thank you so much for what you did on the cross for our sake. Lord, we're so thankful that we serve a risen Lord. And Lord, just help us to not lose sight of that. That we're reminded constantly, Lord, that you are our Savior. You are the King that we serve. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that's here this morning, Lord, that has that opportunity to hear the good news and in turn share it with others. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.